So you young gals out there thinking, well, I'll just drink. I'll just get high a little bit. Or I'll try this. It, you're opening a gateway to stuff you have no, mm-hmm. you, have, you, you don't have any control over. That's a lie. Oh, you can control it, but you really can't. Hey friends, welcome to the Victor Marks Podcast with Victor Marks, founder of All Things Possible Ministries. Welcome to the show where we bring you real conversations faced with life's hard truths, stories of redemption, and the latest from the front lines. Whether you're on the road, getting your day started, or finally settling in, we've got an exciting new episode planned for you. So let's dive in to today's show. Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of the Victor March Show. My guest today is Lauren Beret. Uh, we met this weekend. She's down here for Samantha weekend, getting all trained up and equipped. Uh, what are some of the stuff you've learned this weekend here? Oh man, this weekend has been jam-packed. Yes, it has. <laughs> but that's that's the point, It's been right? good, yeah. Um, firearms training and yep. safety. Um other weapons such as knife, um, yep, the blade. blade. We did jujitsu. That was oh, yeah. a huge takeaway for me because I discussed with you some already. The jujitsu was the most physical touch I've I've experienced mm. since mm. two years ago when I was assaulted. Mm. So that was um, a challenge. But a challenge that I overcame with the help of people who love me in this organization and ultimately Jesus. Yeah, folks, so you're getting a, a, a quick insight here. Um, Lauren is here because of her past, and uh, she's hand-selected to come and experience what we call a Samantha Weekend, working with those who've been victimized, suffer abuse, um, or have been trafficked or whatnot. There's a variety of reasons, but the jujitsu tends to be the, the therapeutic part that most people don't understand how important it is uh, to work through all the uncomfortable situations. I, You know, I was praying for you the other night, and you told me about, we'll just get right to it, the incident where a guy that was trafficking you had a gun to your side in a vehicle. I mean... Kind of relive that for us. Well, actually, uh, he was a client, okay. so a complete stranger to me. Okay. I was working renegade at the time as a form of punishment because I had just royally pissed off. Yeah. Okay. The man I was working for. Yep. And after that happened to me, he looked at me and said, I knew that would happen. Wow. Wow. Uh, you know, so much of that world, it's a head game, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, Extreme manipulation yeah. and constant, how can I break you down? Mm-hmm. How can I break your mental? Because up here, if you can break somebody mentally. You got them. Mm-hmm. And the, the second thing, you know, folks use, bad guys use to get control over a gal are drugs. A hundred percent. Yeah. What was your drug of choice that uh, he used to keep you and control you? My drug of choice was fentanyl. Um, but I like to stress to people that I didn't wake up one day and decide I wanted to do heroin that day. Um, I was actually in college at UNC Charlotte. 
my freshman year. Uh, I graduated high school early with a 4.1 GPA. Wow. You know, so I look back, and for the longest, I I would just tell myself this was not supposed to happen to me. Mm. None of this was mm. my plan. I mean. Because you come from a good family. For the most part. For the most part, in the sense of um, you weren't abandoned as a kid. Now, there was a lot of dysfunction. Right. And I want to clarify that uh, good is a variable. Uh, you had a lot of dysfunction that you still have actually had to work through. But, uh, y- you know, it-, it wasn't like you were born in the streets. Because mm-hmm. here you are, graduate from high school, you're in college, and nothing super bizarre happens yet. Right. One of the most defining moments for me that was just kind of the beginning of that downhill slope for me. Uh, My biological father had nothing to do with me from the time I was 8 to 16. Mm. When I was 16, out of teenage angst, um, I needed to see my dad. I felt the need to have that relationship with him, try my best to form a bond, because I still internalized it all, the abandonment from him. Mm. Uh, Even though I had my mother's love, I still internalize that missing piece and that rightly significant so. yeah, missing piece so. of a father. Um, I took that to be my fault. What did I do to make him mm. not want to be around me? And while my mother was in a single wide trailer, struggling financially, uh, so many times I had to watch her just she tried her best to hide it, but it was mm. so visible when she couldn't get me something I wanted. Mm. Um, meanwhile, my father was 30 minutes away, thriving in his career as a defense attorney and had his whole own family with my stepmother. And like I said, never sent me a birthday card, Christmas card in the mail, nothing. Folks, what you're hearing right now, sadly, is typical of... Um, a girl's dad not being there. I've always said this. I think one of the biggest challenges in America is not terrorism, not drugs, not trafficking. It's actually the the absence of a dad, a father in the home. And what we're seeing is a byproduct of that. It was, uh, it was painful to know your dad was only half, a, half an hour away. Mm-hmm. But here y'all are struggling, mm-hmm. and you are internalizing, like, what's wrong with me? What did I do because he doesn't want to invest or show his love toward me? But in the reality, it has nothing to do with the kid. You know that now, but but it's hard. Right. And I take into account he was in active drug addiction with my stepmother and severe alcoholism. I mean, they got arrested for domestic violence a couple times. So it's not like that was a perfect household either. Right, right. But from my point of view, all I cared about was having a relationship with my dad. Right. You know, I didn't I wasn't aware of everything that was happening in his household. And and that house of cards ended up crumbling, didn't it? You're Absolutely. Yeah. When I turned eight or when I got the acceptance letter from the school I wanted to go to, I was beyond excited. I, and that's another um, 
my education and excelling in education was my form of coping with my father not being there Mm. because he was always hyper vigilant on how well his children did academically. Like that's what gives a person worth. Right. And I always had this in the back of my mind. Like if I just do perfectly in school, then he'll love me. Then he'll be proud of me. Right. He'll want to claim me as his own. Mm. Uh, so I got the acceptance letter. I was beyond ecstatic, thrilled because also too, I wanted. I love. I love my mom. I wanted to get out of her house. Of course. Uh, called my father. Well, his law office at the time, and I was so nervous. I was at work my senior year. I was working three jobs. Mm. At work, my hand was like shaking before I made that phone call, and then I finally told myself. The worst he can tell me is no. Mm. That's the worst that can happen. And that was true in a sense. I made the phone call to ask him to explain. Um, financial aid is covering most of it. There's only a very small portion left. Will you please help me? Mm. I was on speaker with him and his wife, and he could not tell me no. She told me no. Oh, my goodness. That's devastating. All that you'd worked for to prove that you would be valuable in his eyes academically. And here you get acceptance to a college. You've got tuition paid, but you just need a little bit of help. And it's still a no. Is that, did you feel like that was such a pivotal moment in your life to go, well, the hell with all this? <laughs> Absolutely. I entered into school because I was still, um, one of my downfalls and strengths has always been my stubbornness. Yeah. Uh, so I was still like, I'll show you. Right. you know, I'll show right. you. I'm going to be better than you. Right. Uh, so I went, left for Charlotte, and I was crumbling mm. internally. I just, did, I couldn't recognize it then. Mm. You know, from the outside, I was very well put together. Mm-hmm. I had it all figured out. Um, I didn't have to ask anybody for help. But yeah. That's because I wasn't talking to anybody. Right. If you're just listening, uh, Lauren before me is a beautiful young woman. Uh, obviously, very intelligent, smart, went to, went to school. And then something happened. We know the mm-hmm. context for the basis of this crumbling. Mm-hmm. But how did you go from that to all of a sudden you're – you're a renegade, which in that business, folks, is when, is when a girl is taking care of her own. There's nobody trafficking her. She's setting up um, clients for herself. Basically, initially, I bought into the lie of the sugar daddy thing. Mm. Um, mm. Because that was the thing at the time. There was an, a documentary I watched on 2020 Wow! about how... So many of these girls who had graduated from university made it through with the help of a sugar daddy. Mm. I naively, very naively bought into that lie. Got on a website, uh, went to lunch, and at first it seems innocent. And you're telling yourself, I'm not doing anything until that moment comes that you have to do something. Mm. 
when you're in a compromised situation and you're faced with, I've already, it almost feels like, how am I going to back out of this now? Because of the small compromises Mm -hmm. all the way to that point. And this is what some don't understand. It really is, it's the small steps toward destruction. It's not a leap off of a cliff. Right. You've lowered yourself, you're hanging down, and then it's like there's no way to get back up. Exactly, exactly. It doesn't matter if the rest of the world can see uh, the potential you have, uh, the chances you have of getting out of it at that moment. If, if in your brain, mentally, you feel like that is your only option yeah. to succeed at what you're trying to get done in life, mm-hmm. it's hard to back out of it then. Yeah, and folks, she's not, she is not not taking responsibility because that's not, right. we're always responsible for our choices and action. We're trying to give y'all a little bit of insight of this slippery slope of how girls get to this place of finally going, oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. Uh, here I am. But as we talked about earlier, you're in a vehicle with a client and he's got a gun to you mm-hmm. and you're thinking, I'm not going to make it. At this point, you've OD'd. Mm-hmm. How many times? Eight times. Eight times. Do y'all see where it went? So you young gals out there thinking, well, I'll just drink. I'll just get high a little bit. Or I'll try this. It, you're opening a gateway to stuff you have no, mm-hmm. you, have, you you don't have any control over. That's a lie. Oh, you can control it, but you really can't. No. Yeah. It wasn't designed to be controlled. Yeah, well, that's, if that's not, if that's not the quote of the week right there. Um, so how did you get from this craziness? I mean, and it was interesting because you said, you know, what people see in movies and what's lived, two different things, right? Completely. Help shed a little light on that. Because it's so crazy to for me to see still so much of the world buying into this distorted uh, lie that we're told like there's much of a difference between like escort and sugar daddy work, being in a club or just walking the blade. When it comes down to it, it all ruins destroys your sense of self-worth it's money for sex there's there's it and it every time it takes a little bit of your soul exactly and it'll never stop taking yeah you look at a woman who's been in the industry for 10 years you can see how destroyed her soul is Mm -hmm. versus a girl six months into it and going well you know i'm just going to work a year or two and i'm gonna pay my bills right (laughs) and it just doesn't work out the, the fact that you're still alive is amazing. It is. And it's proof that God's hand is on you. What would you I tell a, uh, a young girl who's even looking that way? Even like fans only. Well, I'm just going to do some web work. It's not, you know, this can't hurt. What would you tell them? I would tell them that after that first night of selling my body for a significant amount of money, that paid my tuition for the year. Um, After leaving that man's house, I went and picked my best friend up at the time. I always told her my whereabouts. I thought I was being safe. I mean, the lies you tell yourself in this. Like, I'm going to be safe about it. Mm -hmm. There's no safe way to do it Mm. at all. Um, Second great quote. 
There is no safe way to... Folks, uh, you know, my father was a pimp, so it, I, our family has a background on this. That's why I love, I absolutely love and adore women who are in this space and because I know the hope that Christ has for them, and I know the love he has for them. So, yeah, uh, the, the lies, mm-hmm. you know, you tell yourself. And I'm telling this background because I just recently have come to learn and maybe accept for myself that that was really the moment that made me um, want to start using other forms of coping, Mm -hmm. i.e. drugs. There you go. After that, I saw no amount of worth in myself. Mm. Shame, the shame, the guilt, uh, the persecution on myself. Because I didn't have anybody else to blame at mm-hmm. that point. Right. All right. I could blame was myself. Mm-hmm. And I'm the type of person, anyway, who would rather blame myself because at then least I feel like I have some sense of control over okay. the situation. Right. So I started using drugs after that. Innocently enough. And my ex-boyfriend. I met my ex-boyfriend who is now currently in prison for drug trafficking. Mm. And innocently enough started using pills which mm-hmm. led into heroin which led into fentanyl wow well, well, so many people are dying on fentanyl right now so many i overdosed eight times the second and third time was two nights in a row the hospital staff got a wow. good mock out of the mock made a mockery out of so me you're back that. in after odin one night later yeah their exact words were I was laying on the gurney next to the ER desk, and the nurses and staff were saying, oh, we don't even have to print her a ticket or a wristband. Right. She was just here the night before. Oh, my gosh. And just bursted in laughter. Well, folks, you see what I'm saying? Uh, She's a living miracle uh, because there are many of us who know friends, loved ones, someone, extended family that has died. Uh, because of fentanyl. So let me ask you, because I don't know, many people listening don't, what's the draw? What is fentanyl? What is the feeling that it gives you versus other drugs? For me, opiates were a way to escape and numb Mm. because they do completely numb you. Right. If they didn't work, people wouldn't take them. Right. Uh, Your emotions are numbed. You don't have to feel all of that pain Mm. that you're trying to avoid. Mm. Without it, it would all come rushing to me every day. The Mm. reality of what I was doing was set in every morning. Mm. So that was the first thing I reached for. And aside from the mental aspect of fentanyl and all opiates, the physical dependency. It's crazy. Because prior to that, I had tried cocaine at parties, and that was part of the lie, too. Right. Because I kept that as a every other weekend thing. I was like, well, that's a hard drug, and I'm not addicted to it. Right. So that led into the I can try anything. Right. I'm, like, invincible. I'm strong. I have this. Yeah. And the first time I experienced being dope sick. Oof. I I had to miss class 
And I was just thinking, like, why in the world do I feel this way? Right. Well, I, it's like the I haven't flu. been around anybody sick. It's like the flu time 10, right? It's awful. Yeah. Awful. And the higher your tolerance is, the worse it's going to be. Yeah. But at that point, I was still so naive. I, mm. I laugh at myself to this day because textbook knowledge could not have taught me about being dope sick. Yeah. And I really wish that that would be an element that we would stress more in our schools. Interesting. To teach children because, yeah, we go through the D.A.R.E. program. Right. It's like an hour-long class. Yeah. It, it, it doesn't work. Right. Actually, I won the best speech for the D.A.R.E. And there you have it. <laughs> and so. she gets addicted and will date eight times. If that's not proof positive that... <laughs> Uh, and you know, there are a lot of people that believe there are higher powers in our government and pharma, you know, the whole pharmacy world that want people addicted. And I think people have to open up their eyes to that. Um, Absolutely. I'm from North Carolina and the Appalachian region was hit hard, hit hard. Yep. Yep. And, uh, that's, that's a whole nother. Right. So, but but it's so important that at least we touch on that. Now, you know, um, before we close, because I know we're mm-hmm. we're we're limited on time, you have to catch a flight. Uh, but let me ask you this: What would you tell parents or a young girl to say? Listen, these are things you need to stay away from. This is how you safeguard yourself mm-hmm. because you and I both know because. We help so many girls and kids that are involved in all this. There are hundreds of thousands that are engaging in this on their own free will, and then they get stuck. So what are some of the warnings that you practically were talking to someone who's lived it? There are men, even if if you believe you're choosing to live this way, make these choices, um participate in sex work that just leaves you so much more vulnerable to those men who are so glad to see that they're, and a, they're it, predators it makes their job so much easier yeah these are so much predators easier. and add the drug use on top of it these predators know all they have to do is keep you supplied with that drug yeah and you'll do anything folks uh, these guys don't have horns they, they're not carrying a pitchfork around. They come as friends. Yep. Family members. Yep. It's, it's, the Bible says the devil comes as an angel of light. And I always tell girls this, because, you know, we have three daughters, five granddaughters. And so girls are my favorite. Love the girls. And, and I just go, look, be very, very weary of nice guys Mm -hmm. and i tell people this i'm not a nice person i'm kind see nice people want something Mm -hmm. oh what do you need i'll help you out you're gonna help me out later it's all about what i can get for being nice to you exactly a kind person just goes what do you need right and of course no i don't want any i i love you I help you. I don't want anything. Right. That's what a kind a kind person does. What's right because it's the right thing to do. But a nice person is that snake, mm-hmm. that predator. And believe me, they are evil. Absolutely. 
don't surround yourself with yes men, people who will rationalize your poor behavior for you mm. because they are always doing that for their own gain and benefit. Whoa. I have never heard that before coming from someone who's been in the sex work industry. Wow. That's really insightful. Wow. You just, you, you've got all these nuggets of wisdom. <laughs> I, I love this. So that's important. Uh, true friends are going to tell you, Hey, that's wrong. Don't hang around that. Don't do that. And, and this whole concept of friends is so weird in our culture. It is. What is a friend? It is. Yeah. Well, that's just like Jesus. I have to make a point to ask the Lord to put me in my place, put me in check daily because mm. I want to continue growing. Mm. And I don't serve a God who is going to enable my poor behavior. Wow. Another one. Bing, bing. I'm seeing reels by the tons with you. This, you your words are going to go so well on social media. I mean, I love this. So, and you talked about that. You said, remember we have the conversation tonight when I, when I prayed for you. And we did the retooling prayer. Uh, how would you how would you tell folks that is that helped you or because a lot of people they're like oh I hear about it but you actually experienced it what was it like for you <laughs> it was amazing prior to my attack two years ago and I want to put a disclaimer on that as yeah. well it's not like I had not experienced um, gun violence domestic violence all of it. All of it. Yeah. This time I was looking evil in the eyes, mm. black eyes. I knew he fully intended to take my life. Mm. And I exhausted everything in my own power to try to get out of that situation. Prior to that, I considered myself to be agnostic. My mom would tell me all the time, you're going to die, Lauren. Mm. And I would just look at her emotionless. Mm. That did not scare me. I had, a, I had an unhealthy lack of fear. Mm, mm. because now I live with the fear of God wow. and that's a healthy fear. Mm. It's not bad to have the fear of God. So prior to that, I was agnostic in that moment. Uh, I had no resources, nothing at my disposal to use to save my life. And I was also just processing how this weekend really helped me in a way that I wasn't expecting or in a, in a, I, I have a new perspective because I beat, I'm very hard on myself. Right. I'm so critical of myself. Even in that situation of getting attacked, I analyze every moment of that. Where did I go wrong? Mm. Which choice should I have made differently? Mm. But this weekend during every training, which was so helpful, but I found myself asking myself, how could this have helped me in that situation? Mm -hmm. Because up until now, I've just thought it, it was my fault. Mm -mm. And every single time I thought I couldn't have, he had a loaded pistol to my side. Right. I did the best I could right. in that moment. Yeah. And I, and you're alive. Amazing. So it, Ultimately, I called on a God, the God, who I had been running from. Mm. 
And that's amazing, right? Yeah. After we've exhausted all of our options, we usually call on him. Most people call on God. I know I did. He was there for you. Absolutely. And he kept his promise to me in that moment. I will spend eternity keeping my promises to him. (laughs) Folks, I love this love story. And many of us have experienced it of just running from God. But he continues to pursue us. And the moment, the moment you're ready to just go, okay, God, and sincere, he will be there. He, he, he'll never leave you nor forsake you. You'll feel like he's far away, but oftentimes that's just lies of the enemy. And we were able to uncover some of those lies with the retelling prayer. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so many. Uh, that was a first-time experience for me. Right. Because I'm two years into my walk of faith. Wow. What a, and I'll tell you what, I know people who are 20 years into it, and they're still fearful to really go against the demonic and use their authority in Christ. And I think you're from the generation that's like, no, nah, I ain't afraid. No way. Um, we're going to walk in the power and the authority of God because we've seen what the enemy has done. And uh, I'm, I'm so excited that you've been with us today to give people hope and, and both those who are struggling and then maybe parents and loved ones, and those who actually have no concept of that world, but going, oh my gosh, I'm going to look at people different. Mm-hmm. And, and it is true, we're not supposed to look at people in a judgmental way who are struggling, doing things that aren't great. It's To, to me, it's always like, oh, what a, this would be a great opportunity, Lord. So I asked two people, I asked questions, Sorry, I asked questions. I've asked two people today. (laughs) Two questions before you leave. Okay. And the first one is this. Now that you are able to know us a little bit and train and see what we do, how would you explain to people what's your perception of Eileen and I and the ministry we have? Naturally, I'm very skeptic of men. Yep. And women at that, but especially men. Um, I have completed a program. So I've been blessed to be well-connected. That being said, there are experiences with some people that are long-lasting. And being here at Samantha Weekend, I picked up no hidden motives or secret agendas from anyone here. These people love from their hearts with the love of Jesus. Not a human kind of love, not a selfish, possessive love. This is a genuine, let me help heal you through the love of Christ just because, just because I love you and because I love Jesus. Oh, my gosh. I see my wife over there tearing up. It is what we love. Thank you. It, Thank it, you it, both it, so much. You're welcome. It's And it's easy for us. None of this is hard. The warfare is difficult, but not, but not loving y'all. Someone like you that comes here, we're blessed for it. We're better for it. Last question. 
You've all died eight times. There are times I should have died. We all are going to die one day. What happens to Lauren now? When it is your time, when you pass away at 150 years old because of modern technology and you close your eyes the last time and you look the exact same way, you don't even age. Y'all, you know, y'all's future is great. But when you do close your eyes, well, what happens to you and why do you believe it? Every day, it gets harder and harder to recognize myself. Mm. But I have to keep in mind... Who exactly am I comparing myself today to? My past self? Mm. And that wasn't really myself either. Because my identity is in Christ and Christ alone. And that's why it gets harder to recognize myself. Because Jesus does everything radically different from the world. We really aren't supposed to understand it always. Right. It's amazing. I actually want to be a wife and mother one day and I never thought that was like a possibility for me. I never believed that I could be soft and nurturing enough for that. Yeah. And and look at the very job you have today. <laughs> now I work as a preschool teacher with children. And, and I've seen. And, and you, you've gone through the gauntlet to even get there. The director, you've had to go before to, you know, to be certified to do this. People know your past. And and it's what you just said. That's not you. That that was not even you. And the future, when you pass away your spirit, you're going to heaven? <laughs> you know I am. Yes. <laughs> There's no doubt about that. And I'm going to try my best to bring as many people with me as I can. I love it. I love it. The evangelist in you, to whom much has been forgiven, much is loved. We love you. Thanks for being here. Thanks for being on the program today. Folks, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, uh, make sure you include Lauren in your prayer. In the future, you may think about her. Boom, pray for her. And we look forward to that day of knowing that you're married, that you have your own children, and you continue to walk this path with Christ, proving to millions that the devil's a liar and he doesn't win, but Christ's work on the cross is able to set all free, whoever would come to him. Amen. So wherever you are, whatever you're doing, do it for the glory of God. Go full throttle. We love you. We appreciate you. Go to victormarks.com to find out more of how you can help and be part of the ministry. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. We'd love to stay connected with you and invite you to the conversation beyond this podcast. You can check out more of the work we're doing around the world at victormarks.com, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all linked in the show notes. Be sure to drop us a comment in the review section if today's show has impacted you in any way or if there's anything you'd like to hear more of. We're always encouraged to hear from you. Thanks for spending your time with us. Until next time.